Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everyone, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 192. We're recording this on Sunday, September 25th, 2022 at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I'm Terry. We've got Todd. We've got Zach. All right. How, how's how's the sports watching and sports betting going this weekend? I mean, I'm really pumped because the Royals just came back from like 11 down and scored 11 Damn runs in the to beat the... Oh, oh. <laughs> That's the only thing on my mind right now. It's because I just told you 10 seconds before we started. Oh, Mariners, Mariners, Mariners. Well, listen, does anyone in the world want to see the Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, Cardinals, or Braves win a World Series? I mean, I think you guys are going to be national favorites next month. You're going to be America's sweetheart. Are you ready for that role? As long as they make the playoffs. I think you guys are. Are you at like uh, four and a half games up? Yeah, and we've lost like, what? what is it now? Seven of the last nine or ten, something like that. We've well, lost let's... three straight series to the three worst teams in the American League. Let me give you some advice, okay? Because, uh, you know, eight years ago, we were America's sweethearts. We made the playoffs after a 30-year drought, and America fell in love with us, and we made the freaking World Series. And we came within a uh, dumb decision by Alex Gordon um, of winning two World Series. So I think you guys are in great shape. I'm pulling for you. I, think, I can't wait for October. I think you guys are... Uh, one of the best stories heading into the playoffs. Well, or it could be the, like the Pirates who break their streak and then they suck again. So, <laughs> there, that's the spirit. There's that's that. the optimism. Todd, did you hit your five-part parlay? No, I missed. I mean, uh, Northwestern, like they really, really suck. Like, I, I thought I was getting a good price on them after losing to an FCS team. They were like a minus three hundred favorite against Miami, Ohio, who hasn't won a non-conference game in like four years. And they lost like 17 to 14. And we lost to Northwestern. That, that makes it even worse. Uh, yeah. So, no, the bet was no bueno. But uh, I was all over the, the USA. I should have just bet that independently. Minus 700. That was, there was never a doubt about that. About what? The USA golf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was like minus 700, wasn't it? Well, yeah. But, I mean, then it was like minus... 25,000 like a couple hours later so I mean I could have gotten a really good uh, odds on that (laughs) I still haven't hit a bet yet this football season I I had one bet in on today and I I parlayed the uh, the uh, Eagles which hit and the Chiefs so Kansas City sports are just screwing me over all all over the place right now Hey, let, let we should talk about Kansas sports because we should be in the top 25 right now. And we have the Heisman front runner, Jalen Daniels, as our quarterback. And when can you say that it's been 4-0 in Lawrence, Kansas, and we haven't lost a game since February as the Kansas Jayhawks? The best Nebraska has played this year is watching Adrian Martinez beat Oklahoma yesterday as the quarterback for Kansas State. <laughs> You guys really aren't ranked. You no, know. they're still no. They're like twenty-seven. Ridiculous. 
I'm just now looking at the K- AP poll. K State is ranked above us. I mean, I get it. Great job, guys. But, but they lost to Toledo. <laughs> they actually lost to Toledo. Yeah, that's right. Well, Kansas State's ranked below you in the coaches' poll. Or Minnesota? What are they doing there? They haven't beat anybody. They've like shut everybody out. <laughs> and, yeah, New Mexico State. Yeah, great, great, great job, Minnesota. Anyway, no, we... it was the Michigan State. Yes. Yeah, they shut out Michigan State yesterday. Well, listen, we're on we're on a mission to shock world. Okay, so be ready, uh, world. All right. Well, hey, we're ready. And we're, pigs we're... are flying. We're now ready to hear what you're drinking because it must be good if that's what you're thinking. So what what are you drinking today, Zach? I'm having some really excellent Cote de Rhone uh, French wine that I've been drinking um, for a little while. So I got the party started early. Very nice. Very nice. Todd? Uh, well, in the movie we're going to review, there was a very impressive tower of martinis. So I decided to make one myself. Gin martini. Well done. Well awesome. done. So I I uh I didn't think I was gonna be able to have a have anything from a brewery today, and then uh, my wife went to her uh, her book club meeting, and uh, it was at a tap room, and she came home with a growler for me. So this is their um this is a toasted chocolate coconut porter. Go isn't this the second week in a row with chocolate? Uh, not I don't think second week in a row. Oh, maybe it is. I don't remember. I don't think I've ever heard of a coconut being a flavor in a beer before. That's interesting. It's good, though. The the, richness and smoothness of the porter matched with the coconut. It's good. It's good. All right. Well, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing, wherever you find your podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere. Let's get into what we've been watching. And we're going to start with Zach. Okay, so uh, this week I went back to my old friend Canopy and I watched a really uh, great movie by the French director Agnès Varda. Uh, For those of you listening to the podcast, I reviewed a movie of hers earlier this year, Vagabond, which I very much enjoyed. And this movie was not quite as good, but uh, it's uh, pretty good. The movie is called One Sings, The Other Doesn't and is from 1977. And it is, it kind of tells the story of a, this friendship between two women in France. Um, their friendship covers about 13 years, I think from about 1962 to 1975. And it kind of looks at the different paths that their life takes. Um, one of them, when we first meet them, is a, a student, an aspiring musician. Um, she later becomes a street musician and changes her name to Apple. And then there is a, another character who is uh, saddled with young children of her own and an uncaring um, partner. And so um, the movie is very much a testament to second wave feminism in France. There's a lot of uh, plot details about how abortion was illegal in that time. It's actually sort of an interesting companion piece to happening if if, uh, you've watched that movie lately. Um, And Varda is a quirky, eccentric director. Um, This is not a traditional movie in any way. It kind of leaps forward and then back. There's a lot of weird flashbacks and chronology issues, which are kind of quirky and enjoyable. Um, the character Apple sings a lot in this movie. This movie is at least 30% like weird random songs. 
And um, I dug it. I really like Agnes Varda as a filmmaker, very eccentric. Uh, you can never quite pinpoint what she's doing in a movie. Um, and I didn't quite know where this movie was going. I think it's a little bit dated. It's a little bit idealistic for its time. But what's the problem with that? It's the 70s. It was a great era for filmmaking. Um, I give this movie three stars. And Varda is a great filmmaker. I don't think I've ever seen an Agnes Varda movie. I should probably change that at some point. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it. Have you guys heard of this movie at all? I guess no. it's on HBO Max right now. So it's a good one to check out if you've never been, if you've never seen a, a Varda film. Cool. All right. I'll go next. I've got a couple to report on. First, my Oscar watch going back 10 years to 2012 to a lone best animated feature uh, nominee. It is the Pirates Band of Misfits. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, this mo- <laughs> this is a stop motion claymation. Is this is this by the Wallace and Gromit guys? Do you know Todd? I think Nick I feel Park. like it has I, to be. I think it was, and they, they, those guys always seem to get nominated for whatever they put out. I think. Yeah, and and the the vo- the voice cast in this is amazing. You've got Hugh Grant, Martin Freeman, Selma Hayek, Jeremy Piven, Imelda Staunton, David Tennant. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, Al Roker, apparently. Um, it is, so it's a story of this pirate captain whose name is Pirate Captain. And he is uh, he is trying to win Pirate of the Year Award. But he is, he's kind of pales in comparison to the rest of his competition, which is uh, Cutlass Liz, played by Selma Hayek, and Black Bellamy, played by Jeremy Piven. And uh, and oh, and well, the other one, I oh, I guess it was really just mainly those two, but uh, yeah, they um, so he decides he's going to try and do something different, and he randomly runs into uh, a a scientist explorer by the name of Charles Darwin, who discovers that his parrot on his shoulder isn't a parrot, but it's actually a long lost dodo bird, which is supposed to have been extinct for seventy five years. And so uh, he decides that he's going to enter his dodo bird into a science contest and win scientist of the year and get the prize and say that it's his loot. And therefore he can win pirate of the year. Uh, Imelda Staunton plays Queen Victoria, who hates all pirates. And she gets in the middle of all this, too. It's weird, but quirky and funny. And it's just plain silly. It's it's pure silliness. Um three stars why not it, it was entertaining for an hour and a half uh, <laughs> it's it's good stuff the other thing i'm gonna report on is uh i went and did my double feature and watched what we're gonna talk about but the other movie i watched was see how they run the uh, the murder mystery whodunit uh directed by tom george and starring uh Starring mainly Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan, they play the the primary two characters. It's partially narrated by uh, Adrian Brody, and it's got some other random actors in it, like David Oyelowo and Harris Dickinson, and uh, I'm having trouble coming up with others, but there's there's a couple others in there too that are recognizable faces and names. Anyways, it all revolves around a 1950s. Uh, a London play of an Agatha Christie story that they're going to try and make into a movie until the uh, the screen no not the screenwriter the uh, the director dies and so Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan come in as the detectives to try and figure out what happened. Uh, it's quirky, 
it's fun. I think the thing that this has against it more than anything is the fact that the next Knives Out mystery is coming out this year, which is probably going to overdo and overpower it in every possible way. Uh, but it, it's still a good story. And it, it Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan are uh, really fun. They're, they're having a blast in this. Uh, it really kind of, it's very uh, making fun of itself while it's telling the story. I mean, the fact that it's about an Agatha Christie story uh, and it's trying to do like an Agatha Christie thing. And by the end of it, Agatha Christie is actually even a character in it. Like she pops up. It's, it's different. Uh, I'm giving it three stars. It's fun. But Glass Onion's going to be better. <laughs> so we hope. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to be honest with you, Terry. If, if you had said to me, Zach, is, uh, did, the, did a movie called The Pirates, Band of Misfits, ever get nominated for an Oscar? I would have. I cannot remember anything about this movie at all getting nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, it's oh, it says on the on the poster from the creators of Chicken Run. Well, that's got to be which yeah. did get nominated too, didn't it? Didn't Chicken Run get nominated? That was before the, before the animation category. Oh, one year okay. before. All right, moving on to Todd. What'd you watch? Uh, I watched uh, the new movie. It was a Peacock original. It's called Meet Cute. Uh, oh, by, I saw that. Yeah, directed by Alex Lehman. Uh, that's got. It features some of my favorite people. Alex Lehman directed one of this one of these movies uh, that was in my top five of 2016 called Blue Jay. And he also directed Paddleton a few years ago, which is another really charming indie movie. Uh, I'm a huge Flight Attendant fan. So Kaylee Cuoco is like high on my I got to see anything she does list. And then Kevin Corrigan is in this, too. And I think we all just love Kevin Corrigan movies, like whether it's The Departed or Big <laughs> Fan or Super Bad, whatever he pops up. Yes. It's awesome. And the movie has Pete Davidson, uh, of course, as uh, the, the male lead in this movie. Um. Kayla Cuoco, she is the lead, though. She plays Sheila, and she is uh, she finds out this tanning bed in the back of a nail salon, but it's actually a time machine, And but the time machine only works for 24 hours. So she decides she's going to keep going back to the day before um, to meet this really intriguing guy named uh, Gary, which is the Pete Davidson character, who she had this great date with, and she wants to relive that day over and over again, but then she realizes, maybe I'll go back further, and I'll uh, start tampering with his past to sort of uh, make him a, a even better man, which uh, is going to clearly create issues because it's a movie. Um, uh, Kayla Coco is super awkward, and Davidson's like the straight one, which is really strange and kind of adorable. It's a little cringy the way it's set up, like because if the genders were reversed, like it would be really creepy and rapey. But um, it's essentially like someone is willing to be in Groundhog Day, or like it's like a delusional ex girlfriend is the lead in in the in a movie, which is. A really interesting concept but this is more of like a jenny slate ryan gosling type combo or like if it was a rachel mcadams channing tatum movie from like a decade ago uh, we would laugh at each other if we uh were, were to recast this with uh kaylee Corco and pete davidson it, it, it makes almost no sense there's a reason why it's a peacock original um but they're cute together they just they just deserve some other movie not really this one um but i i get why these movies are sort of popping up now these like uh infinite time loop kind of things because like the the scenario of you replaying every possible thing in your head from a date or something is like a universal thing and the, the, these kind of movies are are appealing and the resolution of this one's a little underwhelming but i think that's the point it's it's messy but it finds a way to be neat but not entirely for the better i guess uh 
I'm giving it two and a half stars. It's like a good movie to watch on like a date, but I'm not really sure it's that much more. Nice. Yeah, I saw that came out and uh, I was on Peacock. I, I thought about watching. I just didn't have time to watch something like that. Todd, I can't remember. Did you say was Gary a bartender? No, he's oh, not. Damn it. Would that have helped the movie? <laughs> Probably. Although they, they meet in a bar. Like Kevin Corrigan is the bartender. But yeah, Gary, the bartender being in the movie would have been better. I forget what the actual job is that Gary has, but it's something super buttoned up. Like it's it's totally not a Pete Davidson type role at all. Nice. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because you also loved I Want You Back. In fact, I believe you called that the number one movie of the year in our mid-year movie report. Right. And I'm wondering, are you suddenly big into streaming rom-coms? This seems like a new, un- unadventured terrain of yours. Well, I mean, there's just a lot of movies coming out. And this one was like short and it was like, oh, Pete Davidson's in it. I'm going to watch that. But I don't know. I mean, I guess. If if movies like like this are the ones that are going to be straight to streaming for some reason, then yeah, I'll, I'm totally fine with it because there's a lot of charming uh, straight to streaming rom coms. Can I can I ask you is is I want you back still your number one of the year? Uh, no, but I don't know. It, it's it's weird because I don't really consider it a movie now that I know that it never was going to play in theaters, but it would not be number one either way. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, don't say anything more, but uh, that's that's good information. All right, time to move on to our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. I don't know if we're ready for this. Are we ready for this? <coughs> Are, we, Are talking we talking about this? About this? <laughs> We are we are talking about this. We are talking about the movie that was just announced as number one at the box office this weekend, making 19.2 million. Uh, by the way, Top Gun Maverick still in the top 10 in its 18th week, making 1.6. Uh, but what we, we are talking about is Don't Worry Darling. <laughs> I have it, I have it, I have it. Focus, right here. Have a little drink. All of you wives, we men, we ask a lot. We ask for strength, food at home, a house clean, and discretion above all else. Boys and their toys, at least we know they're getting work done. Welcome to the Victory Project. We're all here because we believe in the mission. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing Changing the the world. world. That's right. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? 
please. What's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if Stop it! No. Jack. It's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. I need you to listen to me. They're lying about everything. We are not going backwards. We're pushing forward. Everyone is acting like I'm crazy. And I'm not crazy. Our life together. We could lose this. Follow-up movie by Olivia Wilde to her breakout hit Booksmart. I'm gonna start on this one. And where where do you start with this one? Uh, this is one where we heard a whole lot about this movie before anybody ever saw it, just simply because of some of the drama that was going on behind the scenes. And there's a lot of stories of what was happening and uh, and rumors and and you've got you know, the director breaking up her marriage so that she can start dating her co-star. I mean, it, there, there's a lot that's going on in all throughout this. You've got, you've got, you know, serving papers while she's up on stage talking about their, her movie. It's, it's kind of crazy, but looking at the movie, it's still absolutely crazy and insane. So this is a movie where you have, uh, the two main characters, Alice and Jack, played by Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, live in this like throwback 50s utopia community uh, called the Victory Project that is run by Frank, played by Chris Pine. And uh, the, the men go off and work in this mysterious place off beyond the desert. And the women stay home and live happy lives as, as perfect little housewives. Uh, you have Florence Pugh, you have Olivia Wilde, you have Gemma Chan, you have Kiki Lane, uh, a lot of recognizable names and faces that are the housewives. Uh, Nick Kroll is probably the, the most recognizable of the others in the uh, in the husband category. Uh, you get this very like Stepford Wives vibe to what's going on a little bit here where, where something's just a little bit off. Uh, and then uh, Florence Pugh does something she's not supposed to do. And everything just kind of starts to unravel a little bit as she realizes that the utopia she's in may not be as perfect as everyone says it is. And everything just kind of falls apart into, into chaos from there. All right. So this movie, I would say a lot of people have been saying a lot about this movie and the majority have just kind of said it's a hot mess and it's horrible. And there is a lot going on, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with the fact that it's a hot mess, but I, would, I wouldn't say that it is completely unredeemable either. I, th I thought the first act of this movie was really, really strong. The world setup and the world building of this, of this unique thing of something's off, but we don't really know what. Uh, and uh, and, and there's, there's a lot of really neat stuff going on there. I really 
I, I really got into how it ended. I thought the third act worked. It was kind it was kind of messy, but you knew it had to be kind of messy to to wrap this whole thing up. I thought it worked. The second act of this movie is a complete train wreck. Uh, it is it it makes no sense. It is uh, it's lazy writing. It talks in complete generalities, and we're supposed to get the specificities of what's going on from the generalities that they're saying. Um, Florence Pugh does her best to act her way through it, but she's got nothing to work with here. I think Chris Pine gives possibly his worst performance of his career in this. I thought he was horrible and just kind of showed up. Uh, and he and he plays most prominently in that second act as as she's starting to discover everything that's going on and everything that's that's uh, that's a little bit off. So I liked how it started. I liked how it ended. The middle was a mess. It was never boring. I was entertained by it all the way through. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by it. I haven't, it hasn't been able to leave my brain. So there's something to that. Honestly, I watched this Friday night and last night I told my wife, all right, you're after the kids are in bed, you're going to the movies and you're watching this movie. Cause I need to just, just, talk through this with somebody else before I talk about it on here. <laughs> uh, and and uh, her response was basically the same thing. What the hell? But I loved it. Uh, I'm not going to say I loved it. I, I think I'm giving it two and a half stars. I think. I don't know. It, it's, it, it is a flawed movie. It is an entertaining movie. Uh, it's got some real problems with it. But what it does well, it really does well. Uh, it was very ambitious and you got to commend it for that. Even if it didn't hit on all cylinders. So that's what I have to say about don't worry, darling, two and a half stars. Uh, we're going to go to Zach next. Okay. So don't worry, darling. I mean, it's a movie that we saw a lot of trailers for um, yes, one, every one of my movie first... for the last three months. Very, very true. I'm surprised it wasn't in the regal quote commercial. Um, so I feel like watching this movie, especially the first like 30 minutes, I knew every single scene that happened because it was in the trailer, which is never a good sign for a movie because one of the problems with this movie is that it has significant lagging issues. Um, it takes forever to get to the point. We get it, okay? This uh, idyllic 1957 uh, setting is not utopia it's dystopia there's something amiss uh we get it let's move on let's let's not spend an hour and 20 minutes on that bullshit okay so we get to this big revelation which is absolutely appallingly awful it's it's one of the worst movie revelations uh, i've seen since uh like uh remember me you know that robert pattinson movie like it's on that level of awfulness because you know exactly what's happening you expect something but you expect something better than that i mean come on um it's an m night Shyamalan movie uh surprise ending which is awful um such a fascinating movie the reason it's fascinating to me is because really what this this points to which is something we've talked a lot about on this podcast can you separate the film from the filmmaker? In this case, can you separate the film from the chaos uh, off screen? And for me, it's very difficult. Just like I can't give a Woody Allen movie thumbs up anymore. Just like I can't give a Shia LaBeouf movie thumbs up anymore. Ironically, maybe this movie would have been helped by Shia LaBeouf. Who knows? Um, 
But I think if you are like me and you have a hard time separating those things out, this is going to be a very problematic movie for you. So it was hard for me to watch it uh, without bringing in that extra baggage about Olivia Wilde, about Spitgate, about Miss Flo, about everything. I tried my best. I really wanted to defend this movie. I know Terry was was hotly critical of me with my review of Elvis. I was among the masses of people that went into it and decided that they hated it and decided to uh you know uh put it on um a uh you know uh, a banner before i ever even saw it um i just couldn't find anything redeemable about this movie man uh florence pew tries really hard she looks great in it uh she's obviously one of our best actors in this generation uh who knows how many more movies she has you know um heath ledger taught us that we can never take for granted the early roles of a great actor and i feel like this was a wasted opportunity um, I think the production design is great. I love the house. I love the costumes. I love the makeup. Um, the cinematography, my Matthew Leblik is is great in it. But the movie is just a mess. It's as though the explanation for the misgivings um, they didn't uh, Olivia Wilde didn't care about d- developing. Um, in a weird way, I think this movie could have made an interesting miniseries rather than a movie because even though it's oddly long and it's it's long and protracted, it's oddly short in the places that we need to know more, more information about. Um, it's just an utter and complete uh, mess. However, it's a mess in a way that is more interesting than movies like The Bubble and movies like the, the, the most recent Thor movie. I'm giving it th- one and a half stars. I think there's a future for this movie to be really campy and to get like mid- midnight sort of cult audiences watching it because the audiences that watched it with me laughed at the Harry Styles parts and laughed at some of the bad dialogue. I was kind of with them. Um, it's not quite bad enough to reach that sort of Ed Wood level, but it's almost there. And it's just a, a huge disappointment from everyone involved. Yeah. I, I still don't know if Harry Styles is a good actor or not. I don't think he is. I feel like there were a lot of Harry Styles fans in the crowd though. Um, and it wasn't a good sign that when, uh, the credits started rolling, I heard a lot of laughter, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah. Todd, where are you at with this one? I don't know. I mean, I'm just confused by Zach's review. He's like, I don't see any redeeming qualities except I love the cinematography. I love the costumes. I love the art direction. I love the score. I love <laughs> That's everything not their about fault, it. Though. They did but great. I don't see fault. anything good about the movie. Okay, gotcha. Um, uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm i basically with Terry on this. Like, I, I think Florence Pugh is terrific. Like, she is just like resplendently alluring in this. Like, she, she makes us care way more than we should about this movie because. I don't know. She somehow is like nomination worthy here. Like she gives a really interesting performance, but the movie has a killer first half hour. I love the setup. The tension's able to build because you just get enraptured in this like atmosphere and setting that looks sort of like Edward Scissorhands or something. I, I was always trying to figure out what it actually looked like. Olivia Wilde is a really great director. Like she has a, that visual style, the ambiance is really remarkable. She created for this and she puts herself in this character. That is the weirdest, like, probably most fun she's ever had acting and really is not what i ever seen her do before i know she probably wanted to play the lead at one point um but the, the movie has shades of midsommar meets get out but clear inspiration from like the truman show uh harry styles of course is where all the controversy comes in and he isn't necessarily bad but he's not right for this kind of role and because i think i do think shia labeouf would have been astonishing in that role because he would be somebody who isn't immediately a phony <laughs> which is why Nick Kroll's character works. But but like you see Harry Styles immediately, it's like, obviously he's not who he says he is because like, he doesn't fit that world. Shia LaBeouf would have been incredibly interesting. and But that is a whole other sh- um, shred of controversy with the movie. Like, oh, I fired him for 
because he's an asshole. It's like, no, I actually quit for creative differences and then I'm going to lie about it. Now there's this whole, yeah, bunch of nonsense there too. The movie does get really murky in the middle. We, I think we all agree with that. Like when it expands or starts expanding into what it eventually becomes, which is some like really sexy psychological thriller with horror elements and a bad ending. Um, the look and aesthetic are so defined though, that it makes it watchable despite its descent into cliches and just being kind of lame. It actually is somewhat unsettling in the end. It becomes sort of like a Hitchcockian paranoia thriller, which is cool, but it's, it doesn't really necessarily do it in a good way. I, I think the one most interesting thing is I think that you could feel the hatred between Chris Pine and Harry Styles because they they are both kind of bad in the movie, except when they're on screen together. Like the off screen stuff definitely was one of the benefits of that, because when they're on screen together, you could see just disdain, even though they're actually playing friends. It's really weird. But overall, I think the movie's fine. The critics are bashing it because they want to hop on the controversy and trash it. Wait, I mean, I think if this was all kept in house, it would have been like a 70% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Like instead it's in the thirties and everyone's writing it off, which is ridiculous. It has issues, but it's not necessarily a bad movie. It reminds me of when chapter 27 came out, which is the Jared Leto movie where he played Mark David Chapman, the guy who killed John Lennon. And it was destroyed by critics because it sort of humanized the guy and everyone hated the idea of it and buried it when it's actually a pretty good movie. This movie isn't as good as that, but it's the same principle. Critics are a joke basically. And I guess Zach is too. I'm giving it two and a half stars. Needless but to say. I actually haven't really been able to stop thinking about it, which is weird because I didn't like how it ended either. See, I actually didn't mind the ending that much. Like, uh, of all the ways it could have ended, I was like, okay, that's that's not bad. Like, it's I mean, perplexing. It, it's perplexing, yes. But, I mean, it's one of those movies where the the setup is to the point where how could it end? Um, and yeah, I think, I think you're on to something there, Todd, where you said the critics, it's almost like the critics don't want to end up on the wrong side of like history and say, oh, five years down the line, this, this movie ended up being, being like the, the face of, of this new topic of cancel culture, but we were on it then. We knew exactly that, that's yeah. exactly what they're doing because this is this was on everybody's like Oscar watch list too. Everyone was looking forward to this. Everybody Until wanted to love it, and then all of this stuff happened. And it's like stuff, okay, behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Now that it's it's not just like campy uh, psychological thriller. It's a an absolute disaster. And I, uh, I I just don't agree with that at all. It's not bad. It is actually really good in a lot of areas, but it just it can't figure out how to work its screenplay. It is a mess though. Like it, it is a yeah. mess, but that's part of its charm is the fact that it is a complete mess. <laughs> well, Todd likes Margaret. He likes messy movies. I understand that's that. The, and, and I, and I respect that, that actually, point too. Todd. But I, I would just say, I, I mean, listen, I looked for reasons to like this movie. I really tried hard because I agree with you, Todd. I think a lot of critics, it's fashionable to bash on this movie. And there and there's some really justified reasons potentially, but I looked for it. I couldn't find it. I think Florence Pugh is, is she tries really hard in this movie. You can see that she's obviously way more talented than anybody else in the cast. Uh, like I said, the, the mise-en-scene is terrific. But there's nothing there. I mean, this movie is arguing something that was considered radical 50, 60 years ago. It isn't advancing any sort of argument. Um, the backstory behind the motivation of this twist is ridiculous. It's one scene. It, 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 
it, it's trying to account for the first hour and 15 minutes of this movie in one little exchange that is just so unjustified. Uh, we need a lot more if we're going to invest in this story, in this world, in this universe that they're trying to create. And um, it just doesn't it, do, it, it doesn't build on anything interesting. Now, Get Out is an interesting corollary. Get Out was was fascinating because the characters were rich and there's nothing rich about these characters. We don't know their backstories, right? That movie went in some That's unexpected directions. This movie, there's nothing unexpected except for the lunacy of the explanation. But I feel like every scene is telegraphed. It felt like the first 60 minutes of this movie, as well as they're filmed, it's like, been there, done that. Okay, I've seen The Truman Show. I've seen Pleasantville. I've seen Far From Heaven. I've seen all these movies. Let's do something else. Yeah, I, I think this movie may have set a record for most times having the uh, theme of the score hummed. Na 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 na. I mean that that yeah. that that hasn't been able to get out of my head either. Uh, yeah. But I I was I was fascinated to see how our talk was going to go because it could have gone a million different directions. Um, I could have seen someone someone giving it three three and a half stars. I could have seen one of us giving it one star. I wish it was a good movie. I really do. I, I, I think it would be great to defend this movie. Here's the real thing that I want to be careful about, as I say, but I really hate how the media discourse in this uh, for this movie over the last week has been, if you hate this movie, you're sexist. You know, And it's not every media outlet, but if you watch like the Olivia Wilde interview on Stephen Colbert, I mean, he was very defensive of, of, of her. He tried to effuse her with praise, and he pointed out the lunacy of the double standard of asking female directors those questions. All those points are valid, but it can also be valid that it's a bad movie. And so it, it, it and, and you don't have to be a sexist for saying that. I, I don't know. I just I, I feel like what's lost in this is that it's just not a good movie, period. Well, and I think what you just said there is why it is so important to tune out all of the behind the scenes stuff and just take the art for art's sake and and judge it for what it is, not necessarily who made it or what happened in the making of it or anything like that. And it yeah, must be said, Zach is one of the five people who did not like Booksmart. So I also didn't like Booksmart. I gave that thumbs down. Let it be said, though, there is a double standard. This is the problem. There absolutely is a double standard. I agree with Stephen Colbert. I, I agree that's ridiculous to ask Olivia Wilde those questions. I just wish this had been a good movie. I Can you guys, can you understand my, my plight in the words of Jack? I wanted this to be a good movie. I really wanted to come on here today to defend Olivia Wilde, who is a promising filmmaker, and you guys liked it more than I did. That's a real problem. I, I, I expected I, you to. I expected you to give this three stars oh, and, it's, and it's defend. It's terrible, though. It's terrible. But, it's a problem. I, I could be honest. But you said you, you you can't separate those things, so you were, you were never going to give this a thumbs up. You're, you're probably right. Yeah. Even though you said Shia LaBeouf would make it better, which I I mean, well, I, he, I think he, he would have been so good in that role. That was the best move Olivia Wilde made, was firing him. The, the, the director of Pieces of a Woman should have listened. But listen, I, she I also didn't fire him. He quit. That's the whole thing. I don't think this is a good movie. But if people go to this movie and help relaunch the film industry in theaters, I can't. I can't apologize for that. There are a lot of people at the movie that seem to have a good time watching it. And over it nineteen great. million this weekend. More than the Woman King, right? Or on yeah, par with it. Woman King got eleven this weekend. Took second. Third was a re-release of Avatar. Yeah, um, 
I can't think of Nick Kroll anymore without thinking of our reboot of Minority Report that Adam recast with Nick Kroll. So that's that's another problem that this movie had. <laughs> but I don't know. I just think about, you know, I don't think you've seen it yet, uh, Todd, but Barbarian also had a huge twist midway through. And that was such a better twist in this movie. It, it, this movie was similar in a way, and it was nowhere close to as good as Barbarian was in that aspect of it. Would you agree, Terry? I mean, Barbarian wasn't trying to be... It was nowhere near as ambitious. Like this, true. Don't worry, darling. Was shooting for the moon, which is why people came, hate it, and came up short. Barbarian was not trying to be much, and exceeded expectations. But that twist in the middle was a great twist, and this twist was just lame, beyond belief. I don't know. I I thought it worked. I thought it worked, but. I, I thought there was so much other stuff that didn't that I'm still giving it two and a half. I really wanted to give it three stars. Like I just, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of in that in that area where it's like, yeah, I love a lot of things about it, but it's just I there's some things that override those things, but I I don't really feel good about it because I really did have a good time watching it. I guarantee you, Todd, if M Night Shyamalan had directed this movie, you would give it one and a half stars. Speaking of M. Night Shyamalan, how bad does his next movie look? It looks pretty bad. I started <laughs> laughing when I saw his name come across the screen. Well, listen, wouldn't you make a sacrifice in your family if it meant the end of the universe? I mean, I mean if Dave Bautista asked me to. <laughs> wearing and glasses. Rupert <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I guess we can move on. I, this this was a really fascinating discussion, though. Cassie actually liked the, liked the movie. Yeah, she did. Wow. She did. It, it was it it, and I sent her to it saying, "I think you're really gonna like this one," because it 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 was it's kind of it feels kind of literary, like it I it feels like something that a that was based off a book. Oh, which yeah, that, I, that, I did think it was based off a book the whole time. <laughs> One thing, the, the biggest problem with the movie is that they waste a, like a really good meal. Like he starts like going down on her and she throws all the food on the floor. That's I was true. so upset. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Zach's giving it one and a half stars. Todd and I are giving it two and a half stars. Um, it's a fascinating movie that I think at least Todd and I would say is worth going to and worth watching uh, just to have the conversation around it. Try to go in with an open mind. Um, I, I think, yeah. I agree. I People should go see it. I agree. And it's a mess. But it's a fun mess. All right. Like our podcast. Like our podcast. Mm -hmm. Well played. Well played. All right. Let's move on. It is time for Power Rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And I won last time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I get to pick the topic. And uh, I, I, I have to say, after the revealing of this topic, I got a text from Zach saying that is a legitimately great topic for a power ranking. And then an hour ago, I got a text from Zach saying, I have no idea what this topic actually means. So 
It just meant I was thinking about it and <laughs> thinking about it too much, I think, is the problem. So our, our topic for our power rankings uh, is best use of alcohol in a scene. I mean, we, we always, we're always drinking while we're, while we're recording our podcast. And this is also in honor of uh, uh, a much anticipated, no, not anticipated really by anybody, follow up to a best picture win uh, coming out next week to Apple TV plus the greatest beer run ever by Peter Farrelly. Um, which I, I it looks, awesome. looks good. It kind of looks good. Gotta admit kind of looks good. Um, anyways, so we've got a movie about beer coming out next week by an Oscar winning director and writer. We've got, uh, we, we always, uh, we're always drinking. So let's talk about the best use of alcohol in a scene, or you could say alcohol related scenes, um, scenes with alcohol in them. I, however you want to take it, which I think is what confused Zach is that it's a very well, broad the last topic. one you said is not the way it is. It's not best scenes with alcohol in them. Cause that would no. be all, the entirety of sideways. Like it's gotta be yeah. the alcohol is the scene. Like the alcohol is the reason why it's the scene is good. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's what we're doing. Let's see how this goes. We are going to no sideways. And so, oh no yes. Sideways. Yes. yes sideways. Fargo, sideways is sideways is this uh this power rankings Fargo. Uh but you also can't pick Fargo. I don't Is there any alcohol in Fargo? Oh yeah, they have all those beers in the bar in the opening 10 minutes waiting for Jerry yeah. Lundegaard. Oh yeah. And I, I want to say, um, the what what's his name that that cries uh, cries to Marge about being lonely. I want to say he has a he has a drink. Is that a bar or a diner? I think it's a diner. It's a but restaurant. I think he has a. I think he has a. It's like no, a hotel have, restaurant. They have waters. They have waters. Oh, okay. Trust me on this one. I've watched right. it way too many. What times. about Uncut Gems? I was thinking about. There's Uncut no Gems? alcohol in that movie except for maybe the the Seder. <laughs> Well, true. Or no, I mean, well, they are a nightclub, so I don't. Someone, I don't someone's drinking something in that nightclub. I mean, they were doing a lot of blow, but I don't know that there was. I don't know if you <laughs> ever didn't see have alcohol. anything. Uh, He's from Canada. <laughs> this is fascinating that we that our excluded movies literally don't qualify for this list. There's so nothing in almost side. famous either. Or Apollo 13. Well, there's, I guess there's a, potentially a scene in the opening 10 minutes of Apollo 13. But yeah, he has a box of wine. Best cham- last champagne in the city of Houston. Oh, I was thinking, you know, when Marilyn and Jim are drunk. Okay, yeah. we, we, we got to talk about this. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. Sorry. I, I think I think at the end, we could probably throw together like the top five sideways scenes. Yes. Where With alcohol. But mm-hmm. uh, all right. We're starting with Todd. Todd, what's your number five? My number five comes from Animal House. It is when Bluto uh, chugs a fifth of alcohol. And uh, so what, what happens in this scene? They're sort of like repossessing the frat house or something. And Bluto is super upset about it. And um, especially they like dump a whole box of booze on the ground. And he just like flips out. He starts kicking shit. He's screaming. And then Otter comes up. He snags a bottle of Jack Daniels. He tosses it to him. And he's like, yeah. And then he chugs the entire thing on camera. And then he uh, tosses the bottle into the car behind him. 
and Oscar nominee Tom Holtz looks terrified <laughs> at the whole thing. And then John Belushi's like, yeah, I needed that. And then, and then the scene keeps going on because that was John Belushi doing his thing. And I've never seen that happen before. I wouldn't doubt if it was real. Uh, John Belushi <laughs> was one of a kind, and I, I love that scene. I'm going to love this power ranking. This is We're starting with <laughs> Animal House. This is awesome. <laughs> It's Great. A good, I mean, it, that is all about the alcohol, too. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you watch an uncut shot of him chugging a fifth of alcohol. Unbelievable. I love Faber it. University, University yep. of Oregon. One of the best age movies of the 70s, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> was it, I, so was current it and relevant. 79 or 80? I, th- I thought it was 1980. 78, I think. 78? 78? Okay. Yeah. Deep dive next year. There we go. Now we're talking. Yes. All right, Zach, what's your number five? I didn't know how to do this list, man. I mean, <laughs> this was so strange. Best use of alcohol. Are we talking like in Superbad when they got the alcohol, the 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 the, the drink for Becca in the uh, gas tank? Like, I guess that could count, right? But I mean, absolutely, that would count. Well, no, but... the, wait. No, when you talk about oh, when when they put it in like the, the laundry blue... detergent thing. Yeah, yeah the, the laundry. Yeah, detergent. that. Oh, see, that that's a good choice. Yeah. Okay, I didn't put out. Okay, that'll be my, one of my honorable Wait, mentions. Are we are we I, are we Merloing the movie or just the scene? I would say movie. the scene. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Because right. I I don't know. I feel Todd like there's and so I many different. About, Todd and I ha- mm. had a text thread about this on Friday. I really was not sure. I mean, I threw in a few sideways scenes as examples. I I wasn't sure what to pick at all. Anyway, Should we Merlot the movie. I don't I, have it in my top five. Well, I mean, like, but it, but if someone said, like, Almost Famous or something, and we all had, we had different scenes, are we Merloing the movie? I think we Merlot the movie. That was my understanding. Okay. All right. We'll, all Merlot right. the movie, we'll, then. Merlot. We'll Merlot the movie. All right. Sounds Miles, good. Miles would be offended. He would be. He would be. He'd be offended just simply by the fact that we named something after Merlot. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Zach, what's your number five? All right, number five, I went with Barb and Star. Go to Vista Del Mar. Terry knows the scene I'm talking about. It's the drink with the skull and crossbones. They got George the bartender, and it's a drink called the Buried Treasure, and no one has ever finished it before. It's this big, giant, blue fish tank of a drink. And uh, it's Barb, Star, and Edgar. It's the first time they meet in the bar. And apparently there's a real treasure at the bottom. And then um, I, I love that the Cheeseburger in Paradise song in the background comes on really distorted as they get more and more progressively drunk. And then they discover at the very end that in the front of the scuba diver's mask was three ecstasy pills, which is basically what inaugurates the relationship. The, the great menage a trois, the Jules and Jim Var generation of Barb, Star and Edgar. Um, it's a great scene and accompanied by um, My Heart Will Go On as a, as a hip hop dance song, which was great. Okay, we're not going to have any Merlots anyway, I guess. So. <laughs> we, yeah, we had a two-minute argument over something that's not going to apply. All right. That, you agree with me, Terry. That's, that's, a great, that, that's a good scene. I, I'm having trouble remembering that exact scene at the moment, but anytime Barb and Star get mentioned, it's worth it. Uh, all right. My number five, I'm going classic for my number five. Uh, and there's no... There's no better classic than uh, doing some good old Charlie Chaplin slapstick. I'm going to modern times for my number five. 
where uh, at one point he's searching for a job. He gets a job as a night watchman in a department store. And uh, some guys come in to try and rob the place. They run into him. They had the, and they like, they tell him to, you know, they put him up against the wall and say, spread them. And he spreads them and he's up against a whiskey barrel and he, and he's on roller skates because of course, Charlie Chaplin's on roller skates. He slips, they fire the gun. It hits the whiskey barrel and then he has to stand there while a stream of whiskey is hitting him in the mouth. And I mean, if a stream of whiskey is hitting you in the mouth, you drink it, right? So he gets completely plastered and is hanging out with these guys who he actually used to work with. And uh, the next morning he uh, wakes up underneath a pile of um, a pile of clothing that someone is uh, is going through trying to uh, buy. And they actually want to buy his undershirt, but it's still on him. So uh, nothing beats Charlie Chaplin. So my number five is the whiskey barrel in modern times. Nice. I feel, I believe he also got quite high in that movie too. I thought, a lot, of, I, I thought a lot about silent movies. I thought about nose some, powder, some WC fields in here, but then I remembered I haven't actually seen them, but it's a great pick Terry. And uh, obviously one of the great silent movies that I've actually seen. There we go. There we go. Todd. Number four. Uh, my number four previously appeared on my Stephen King adaptations list. It is the Shawshank Redemption when they have beer on the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So Andy team. agrees to do Hadley's like tax work, kind of like saving some money because his, his wife is doing some weird shit or something. I can't remember the exact details of it, but uh, he agrees to do it if they he gets beer for the inmates who are working their asses off on this roof. And he obliges, which is awesome, because the beer has never looked so crisp and thirst-quenching as it does on screen in that scene. Like, I mean, I, I wish I was on that screen or on, on in that scene with those guys over that moment. And Andy doesn't even drink, which makes it even better. He just did it so that he could have, like, a break and the other guys could uh, could uh, have a few beers. And it's a brilliant scene. And one of the reasons why it's an all-timer, because that kind of scene just, I mean... It, it just is perfect in that setting and it doesn't pop up in, in ordinary movies. Great choice. Great choice. Awesome. I have respect for beer. I have respect for beer. That's actually in my honorable mentions. There, there is no alcohol in that scene, but the simple <laughs> line, I have respect for beer is in my honorable mentions. Well, see, that's the problem. Do you include scenes that mention alcohol, but do not actually contain alcohol, which that's why it's in my honorable is- mentions. Many scenes sideways. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Zach, number four. All right, number four, I'm going to the world of TV. I'm going uh, season two, episode 10 of Breaking Bad. The episode is over. And it is a scene in Walt and Skylar's backyard when they are Mm. throwing a uh, barbecue Mm -hmm. party. After uh, Walt has come out of remission, but the announcement has been made that uh, not only does Walt have cancer, but they're also getting divorced. And um, Hank uh, has some tequila and uh, Walt Jr. wants a sip. As we know, Walt Jr. is very frisky for alcohol, as indicated by his convenience store stick up earlier in the series. And um, instead of being a responsible parent, Walt has been breaking bad. And uh, not only does he give Walt Jr. a sip of it, but he insists on him having more and more of it until Walt Jr. cannot take it and barfs into the pool. Um Great sort of mano mano uh, moment of machismo between Walt and Hank that, of course, will develop 
quite a bit further as the series goes along. Really significant moment in the series because Walt drunk becomes his true self in front of everybody at that stupid barbecue party. And uh, he takes it out of essentially on his family, which is the last thing that he wants to do. Brilliant scene, brilliantly created, um, wonderful moment in the series. Um, and Walt Jr. kind of takes it like a champ. So uh, I got to be honest, wonderful scene, underrated scene from the series. And it's my number four. I kept up with you, though, didn't I? <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's a great call. That is a great call. I was trying to think of something good from Breaking Bad, and that that might be the best the best one you could come up I with. I did not want to talk about Schrader Brow. Yeah, because they don't really drink. We do not need to uh, go into that. I think the be the best Schrader Brow scene is when all the bottles start popping in the middle of the night. That's a, okay. Damn it, Terry. That's actually a really good scene. Actually, had I thought of that, that might have been uh, ranked above this. Yeah, or or when he slices his hand because he's so stressed out he can't even bottle a bottle of beer right, and the bottle explodes on him. That's a good scene too. I mean, just the fact that. Just the fact that he has his own graphic of him for his own Schrader brow. It's iconic. I think, yeah, it's iconic. It really is. We should get T-shirts that's it, that have Schrader brow. It should brow be on our, our, uh, you, our, on our um, podcast thumbnail. That It should. It but should. with Todd Schrader and brow. not Hank. <laughs> now we're talking. All right. My my number four is uh, it's it's iconic. It's, it's uh, about as... Uh, quotable of a of a scene with uh with alcohol as you can come up with however the actual moment is really short but it really is just kind of the theme of the whole movie hey man i have a beverage here it's it's the dude yeah. and his white russian in the big lebowski i mean there there is the moment where he's getting pulled out of one car and thrown into another with the white russian in hand in his crocs and his bathrobe but i mean he he's constantly making white Russians. He's mm. constantly drinking them, and I mean, it gave us the line, "Hey man, I have a beverage here." So that's a great pick. And he's uh, you neglect to say he's at the grocery store shopping for them at three in the morning too. And that, that is true them. as well. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that, that, I had to go with it. There's some it, good cold like drinking scenes that we could mention. Beginning of. Uh, uh barton fink i think there's some alcohol in that or is it oh i don't remember that anyways i don't know all right we'll cut number out. three <laughs> number three and there's some good ones i just I miller's crossing that's already. the beginning of it oh that's, okay, that's where okay. they're drinking i'm sorry makes sense um my number three comes from season nine episode seven of it's always sunny in philadelphia <laughs> episode called quarantine so uh, there's like this flu going around Philadelphia and the group decides they're going to quarantine in the bar bathroom because they don't want to miss the boys to men concert. And they all get like violently ill in the bathroom, like looking almost half dead, like uh, fighting with each other. Who spread it? Who's contaminating what? Whatever. And then one of them had hidden a bottle um, of booze in the bathroom. I think it was Charlie. And uh, then, and they get all excited and they partake and they kind of get drunk and they are healed within minutes. And then they obviously realize that they're not sick, that they're just like detoxing and withdrawing because they're drunk basically every day from 8 a.m. on. And they vow never to do anything stupid like that again by not, by not drinking for a day. And the actual reveal is one of my favorite moments in the entire show. So a movie based around a bar, like that was the, that was, that's the best one. Or show based nice. around a bar, I mean. 
Nice. I think you might be the only one that's ever seen an episode of It's Always Sunny in, on this. Yeah, that's fine. I it, it is one of the more like one of the more famous episodes in the last maybe ten years because that that show's been going on for almost like twenty years now. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's been going on forever. All right, Zach, number three. All right, for number three, we went. I went into the Tarantino universe. A lot of choices here. I mean, you could go <laughs> Pulp Fiction. You could go Django because of the beer scene. Um, you could go any number of places. I went my personal favorite Tarantino movie of all time, Kill Bill Volume 2, strangely ranked higher on Todd's top 100 than mine. I'll never understand that. Um, <laughs> it is the scene when Bud makes a fabulous uh, iced um, margarita drink for uh, Elle. Wrap your arrives. lips around that. <laughs> Put your lips around that. <laughs> Amazing drink. Um, a lot of ice in it. It, you know, I, I, I'm hoping it's got some kick to it. I love it's the mason ice and alcohol. <laughs> I, the, the best part is the mason jars, which he found somewhere in his trailer. Um, they both seem to enjoy it. So you guys both seem to enjoy. Don't worry, darling. So, I mean, it's just like that. Like, go with it, man. Be happy. Do you do you. Um, it's the last thing that Bud ever drinks before his demise. And question mark, maybe the last thing that L Driver ever drinks before her, before her demise. <laughs> question mark, of maybe. course. Question mark? <laughs> question um, mark. <laughs> question mark, man. She does approve, though. She gives him a look like, yeah, not bad. <laughs> yeah, they, they both seem to enjoy it. Alcohol? I'll take it. <laughs> nice. I don't nice. know if this is what you had in mind with your list, Terry. But oh, oh, this I was is watching perfect. It the other day, and I thought, screw it. It's, it's a good scene. This is exactly what I had in mind. This is this is all great. This is all great. All right. My number three. I don't know. Th this might be the this might be the best example of it, but it's not going to be number one. And I'm going to uh, Moulin Rouge. Oh, yes. I thought about this. An amazing movie. But then about a half hour into this, they do this like two minute like psychedelic hallucination absinthe. when they all drink absinthe together. And uh and yeah, and Christian's even like, it was the first time I'd ever tasted absinthe. And then they like, they like start freaking out. And I'm the green fairy. And you got Kylie Minogue dancing around as this green fairy. And, and they're all just kind of staring up into the clouds, watching this imaginary green fairy sing a song. I, it is, it is bizarre. It is weird. It is completely out of place, but it is brilliant. And as I was thinking about it, it might be the best example of a use of alcohol making a scene, but it's it's my number three. Cool. I, yeah, that's a good reaction. I think it's cool too. I don't. Is it a scene? I think it's like a moment, and I remember it from the movie, but I don't know. Is there anything that notable about it? I I don't know. I think I think it's notable. I'm going with it. The whole movie is pretty drunk. So that, that that is true. I mean the the uh the DVD menu <laughs> is the green fairy presenting all of the all that's the nice. options and that's the only time she ever pops up in the entire movie. So How did how did we not deep dive this movie last year? That's on a real <laughs> list of disappointments. I love that movie irrationally. Four more years we'll hit its 25th anniversary. There we go. All right, Todd number 2. Better than Elvis. Uh, my number two movie has previously appeared on my list of opening sequences, sympathetic villains, and biopic performances since 2000. 
Uh, it is the social network. Um, oh, the, the uh, face mash Erica. creation scene. Oh, no, after that. No, so, yeah, okay. basically, Mark gets dumped by his girlfriend in the opening sequence. And then he jogs back to his dorm, already intoxicated. And I think he's drinking Bex or Heineken or something, but he starts drinking and blogging. And he creates basically like a hot or not with student pictures. And uh, it's mean spirit and totally fueled by a drunken session on the computer. And he completely overpopulates the bandwidth of the school because uh, of how much traffic he created with that thing. And I can relate because I, I've done the drinking and blogging before. And it has turned into some of my best articles, I must say. And somehow Fincher shoots that scene in a way that is super like tense and breathtaking and... Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a great scene. I mean, he, he, he even uh, his roommates are looking over his shoulder when they're like, yeah, this is really good. Like, I, I, I mean, I can't believe you're doing this. This is really good. And it's, it's, a, it's a perfect scene. And it comes after another great scene with alcohol, but alcohol isn't necessarily the focus. But it is clear that he is a drunk blogger when he is making face <laughs> mash, and it's awesome. Don't drink and blog, Miles. Don't drink and blog. <laughs> well, that's well, definitely why the, the, the Winklevi didn't create it because they probably weren't drunk right probably, probably. they were training Brizzy training yeah. for crew yeah so 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 todd what is your what is your best drunken blog post that you've had good question was it your review of margaret because i, I will never understand <laughs> that man i don't know I, 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 I do remember though thinking at the end where i, I was it's like a, at the end of breakfast club where um Anthony Michael Hall like gives him gives himself like a like a punch <laughs> on the shoulder, and like yeah. when I get done, I I think that I'm like yeah, good one. <laughs> I can't think of one off the top of my head. Okay, all right, you'll have to get back to us on that. <laughs> okay. Zach, number two. All right, number two comes from Best Director 2022 Oscars, Steven Spielberg. Uh, his great movie 40 years ago, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. It is a scene when Elliot and E.T. both get drunk simultaneously. Um, after uh, E.T. discovers the joy of beer, light beer, apparently, in the refrigerator. He's wearing a really nice plaid um, shirt. Um, he's watching TV that day. Elliot is uh, busy in the classroom with Harrison Ford as the teacher, um, dissecting frogs, which he suddenly becomes James Cromwell and wants to release the frogs and save all animals. And uh, it's a great scene. Uh, it's a great scene that um, maybe like, you know, a movie like, don't worry, darling, could have taken some risks and done some strange stuff like this scene, which is a little drunk and a little bit weird for a kid's movie that's PG rated. Um, but it's fun. And uh, movie today would never show kids getting drunk or aliens getting drunk. But I appreciate it. I appreciate the spirit of it. Um, and I believe that a kid would really get drunk off three drinks of light beer. So it's a great scene. He's got some liquid courage. He kisses Erica Leniak. Um, she is smitten and swooned um great moment i think the movie that spielberg shows is uh is it the quiet man todd i can't remember maybe that's a movie that his young character watches in the fablemans i guess we will have to wait and see best picture of 2022 probably yeah i, uh, I don't know i don't know that movie as well as you do <clears throat> oh always good when we can mention mention that movie good work good work all right number two I'm kind of shocked it hasn't been mentioned yet, but I'm going to take it. It is an Oscar-winning film, almost 20 years old. And all I will say is, the pirate. it's always time for Suntory time. 
It is Bill Murray, Lost in Translation. Where's the rum going? And his and his his whiskey uh, commercial that he's filming. Uh, it, it's it's cato, a beautiful. Cato, cato, cato. It's <laughs> it's uh, it's one of the most memorable scenes from the movie, and like, it's a pretty uh, memorable Roger Moore. movie. Roger Moore. Oh, uh, oh, 007. Yeah, he drinks martinis, but okay. Uh, <laughs> I get the point. Yeah, Centauri time. That's what I'm going with for my number two. Was it's he actually great. drinking, though, is the question. I love the uh, spirit of it, but was that actually alcohol on set? I, I see what you did there. You love the spirit of it. <laughs> get it? Because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's drinking every other time in the movie, though. So That's Chances true. Are he probably took a sip. <laughs> I, I think it works for this list. It, it works it, for the it's, it's, it doesn't it, it, it doesn't it has the vibe of this list. It's not consumption of alcohol, it's use of alcohol, and the, the alcohol is the reason for the scene, and it's a brilliant scene. I'm quite sure he's not drinking, but I appreciate it. But he's probably like he's probably not drinking, but he's probably drunk. That's what I'm going with. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a good distinction. All right, Todd, number one. My number one has previously appeared on opening sequences, the city in the title, swimming pool scenes, and Las Vegas movies. Yep, yep. It is leaving Las Vegas when Ben drinks off uh, Sarah's body. Um, It is so they're at this like trashy motel, like sort of outside of town, and they drag the TV out there just drunk, and they start to fool around. Sarah takes her her top of her swimsuit off, and she pours scotch down her body, which is pays off something that. Ben says earlier in the movie that he dreams about and uh, he drinks it and he like buries his face in her body, creating like the most impractical, but kind of sexiest scene in a movie filled with sexiness. And it's something I never would have thought about, but it actually is sort of a fantasy now because of how gorgeous it's shot and how pleasurable it appears. The moment I thought of that particular scene, I couldn't think, think of anything else that'd be above it because it is the beauty of the shot and how, and how she's pouring it down her body that just makes it so it's perfect in a, in a perfect movie. One of the best scenes. And uh, yeah, that was my number one. That movie had to be number one somewhere. And it had to be. Yeah, it had to be. It's a great number one. Although I think quietly, I believe he's talking about the bank teller that he wants to drink alcohol off of and not Sarah. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, I'm I'm saying that that pays off when he has that whole spiel when he's like oh, recording himself at the bank. Yeah. Why didn't we get a scene of Harry Styles drinking alcohol, off Florence Pugh? That absolutely would have made the movie go over, over the hump. Right. <laughs> That's a three star movie at that point. They had a lot of alcohol in the house. They had a whole shelf of it. Oh, they 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 were drunk like every scene. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Zach, number one. My number one is also a movie that we've deep dived. And I'm sure we talked about the opening 20 minutes because I I don't really remember a lot of the rest of it. Um, And it's a movie that um, we deeply love. It is my number one Christmas movie of all time. It is It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm, of course, referring to the scene late in the movie when I do actually wake up to watch it. When George Bailey has been rescued from a suicide attempt, botched suicide attempt, by Clarence the Angel who's trying to get into heaven, a la Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in Dogma. And uh, the way that he does it is by showing George that his life matters. And so they go to the bar 
And uh, in, of course, Pottersville, um, the bar has become uh, Nick's, which is very seedy and very, you know, anti-Hays Code 1940s. And so uh, Clarence is asking for a drink. He says, I'm thinking of a of a flaming rum punch. No, it's not cold enough. Not, not enough cold enough for that. I mean, mulled wine, heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, me lad. And be lively. And my sister could always recite that line. Um, and, uh, of course, Nick's response is, hey, look, mister, we serve hard drinks in here for men who get want to get drunk fast, and we don't need any characters to give the joint atmosphere. Is that clear? And that was my quote of the day. But I love that scene, <laughs> and uh, the idea of an angel getting drunk in 1945 movies is tremendous. Uh, I love it. It makes it wakes me up when I know that I want to actually tune into the movie. So it's it's my favorite drunken scene or alcoholic scene, whatever Terry came up with this list. I like it. I like it. Well done. Well done. All right. My number one. I mean, it's kind of a cop out. It, it probably should have been outlawed. But I'm going with it. I don't know if I could say it's from one movie because it's kind of from 24 different movies. I'll have a martini shaken, not stirred. Every mm -hmm. time James Bond references his martini. So I guess you could say Dr. No because it's the first time he does it. However, I think my favorite one is in Casino Royale where he orders a martini and the bartender asks, shaken or stirred, and he says, does it look like I give a shit? Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's the most iconic use of alcohol in a scene. And it, it, it I mean, it, it gives him his attitude. It, it, it's part of his character is how he orders his drink. So, number one, shaken, not stirred, James Bond. Nice. Hard to argue with, but yes, yeah. it is definitely cheating. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. I, but I, it's what I had to go with. All right. Uh, let's round round through five to one and then go over some honorable mentions, which might be more fun than uh, the actual list. We'll see what, it, what we came up with here. All right. Todd, give us your five to one. Number five, uh, Animal House when Bluto chugs a fifth of alcohol. Number four, uh, the Shawshank Redemption, when they have beer on the roof. Number three, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, when uh, the reveal of the quarantine episode. Um, number two, Social Network, when he creates Face Mash. And number one, Leaving Las Vegas, when Ben drinks off of, off of Sarah's body. All right, Zach. Number five is Barb and Star go to Del Mar when they drink the buried treasure, which apparently no one remembers, but I think it's pretty hilarious. Uh, number four is Breaking Bad when Walt Jr. gets drunk. Uh, number three is Kill Bill Volume 2, Bud's Amazing Blended Margarita, apparently. Number two is uh, E.T. when Elliot and E.T. simultaneously get drunk off the light beer. And number one, Clarence Hardbody, the angel in It's a Wonderful Life, getting drunk at Nick's. All right, and my number five, Modern Times, the whiskey barrel in the department store, which, I mean, that's not even a thing anymore, but okay. Number four, I got a beverage here from Big Lebowski. Number three, the absinthe hallucination from Moulin Rouge. Number two, Suntory Time from Lost in Translation. And number one, James Bond, Chicken Notch Dog. All right, Todd, what are your honorable mentions? Uh, I have National Lampoon's Vacation when Rusty... Uh kills a beer while talking to Clark. It's like his apparently first beer, but they're having like this conversation. He drinks the whole beer and then Clark's like, good talk, son. Um, my, I also have a fight club where the narrator hands Tyler a beer because then it comes back later where the beer just drops to the ground. It's a great just use of that 
as being the the way to reveal everything. Um, and then I have Django Unchained. The basically when uh, Doctor King Schultz prepares the beer at the bar at the beginning of the movie, yes. it's a great scene, and that beer looked delicious. Um, and then in Mad Men, I have basically the whole Sterling Cooper Draper Price Christmas party <laughs> where. I mean, there was like the the lawnmower incident. Like, it's yes. a great drunken scene. <laughs> uh, American Pie. Um, when uh, Stifler gets done with the uh, having sex with the one girl, and then he reaches over for the beer, and it actually was where somebody had um, deposited earlier. It was it just a really gross scene, but it's really memorable. And in BoJack Horseman, um, where the scene where he's at a bar and he says the suit doesn't have enough flasks. Because and and then you, it pans out and there was like five flasks sitting on the ground and like he ran out of places in his suit for flasks and uh, that kind of just describes like the the end of BoJack Horseman in general like the the last like, couple se- seasons are just that level of kind of sad and funny at the same time. Very nice, Zach. Okay, so um, I also really like the Shawshank Redemption beer scene. Of all of Todd's picks, mm-hmm. that was a, that was a great one. I'd totally forgotten about that. Um, Joaquin Phoenix's drink in The Master. I mean, that basically propels his entire career with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Rest in peace. Um, Beethoven's second when they pour beer on the dog. No, that's horrible. That's 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 the worst <laughs> scene in the movie. But I did want to mention it in some capacity. Twenty uh, fifth hour, the end of the movie, when Brian Cox says, "I, I haven't had a drink in twenty five years, but I'll be with you, my son." Um, dazed and confused, the, a lot of scenes to choose from, but I like the beer delivery guy when he's all like, yeah, we were, you were going to come back later tonight, right? With the winking eye. That's a great scene. Jack Lemon. I got two scenes of Jack Lemon. We got shortcuts when he's talking about his sister-in-law hitting on him. Great monologue. Days of Wine and Roses looking for the, uh, alcohol bottle in the green greenhouse. I'm shocked that didn't make Todd's uh-huh. list. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire when Robin Williams gets drunk, uh, as both Mrs. Doubtfire and Daniel Hillard. Cuckoo's Nest, R.I.P. Louise Fletcher, everybody getting drunk. Um, another round and another round tonight from Hamilton. Um, School of Rock, when uh, Dewey Cox takes Joan Cusack to the bar to get drunk. In the Seinfeld episode where Elaine um, opens up her vault and the scene where Jerry reveals that he uses scotch only as a paint thinner. Rudy, Giul- Rudy Giuliani declaring Trump the winner of the 2020 election. That was real life, but I'll take it. Diane Keaton at the 20- 2006 Oscars and Bradley Cooper at the Emmy Awards when he uh, wet his pants and Lady Gaga had to get, get him off stage. Jackson, nice. Bean, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Mine, the one that just missed my list that I'm surprised Todd didn't mention since when we reviewed this movie, he actually made the drink, the martini recipe in a simple favor. Um, wow. Yeah. That's obscure. Yeah, I haven't thought about that movie in a while. There's a sequel coming out soon. Is there really? That's interesting. Okay. Uh, you guys referenced it before. Pirates of the Caribbean, why is a rum gone? Um, uh, Beautiful Mind, I have respect for beer. Doesn't actually have it, but it's a great line. Uh, there's several scenes in Band of Brothers that you could talk about. You could have you know, when uh, when Winters takes a swig after D-Day uh, to prove he's not a Quaker. Uh, and basically, anytime Nixon is searching for VAT-69, uh, you also have the scene in the in the train where he tells that he hit a bunch of it in Winters' footlocker because they're never going to look there. Um, gone in 60 seconds. How about that drink? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, much... one, that one shot of whiskey or whatever it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. About 80% of the movie Flight, 
uh, would, <laughs> would qualify yeah. for this list. Oh yeah, um, his, his um, <laughs> screwdriver he makes while he's given the the morning meeting uh, over the. They gotta kill the toxology <laughs> report. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and well, and I, I, the end of it with the mini bar, and then he had he has to get the. I'm drunk right now. Yeah, he has to get the cocaine to to offset it all. Uh, yeah. Uh, scent of a woman. Scent, yeah, really. Scent of a woman, John Daniels. Well, when you've known her, known him as long as I have, that's a joke. Uh, let's see nice. here. What else do I have here? Um, pretty much the entire TV show. Cheers. Um, yeah. Uh, Mash also with their gin distiller they have in their tent. Um, there's that. Uh, let's see here. What else did I have here that I haven't mentioned yet? Um, oh yeah, la- two two last ones. Um. Todd Seaside Bloody Mary that had a beef stick and four giant prawns in it. Yeah, we had a um, good conversation about that on the podcast. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and and the ending of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Lovely. It doesn't spoil anything. It's just alcohol related. That's all that's all you need to know. <laughs> yes. You didn't isn't it's uh how I made your mother set in a bar. Yes, it is. I couldn't think of any like great moments that were actual like alcohol. I don't know. Drunk brunch. That's the only episode I've seen. So I mean, I don't know. <laughs> is there drunk something on Friends too? They were or... drunk at brunch, and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah. brunch." Maybe a boy was it with the Joe Manganiello or whatever. Joe Joe Manganiello. Yeah, that that's a good one. But that's not at the bar though. Um. Okay. That that is a funny scene. That is a funny episode though. Um. Yeah, they always have a beer, but they like never get drunk because they're never actually there that long. Isn't there know. some moral proselytizing on Boy Meets World when um, he gets the drunk? Corey gets drunk. Corey and Sean get drunk. Yeah, they, they get drunk at like a like a, a some sort of party. Like Corey's like he has a like a I don't know. It's like a pint of whiskey and he brings it to a party and he's like, this was given to me when I stole it from my father. And uh, they, they get drunk in the bathroom and that was the first time either of them get drunk. Yeah. I thought about that, but it's not exact. I mean, it's kind of sad. But Our next power ranking should be top five 90s sitcoms. Uh, the, the, the kid gets drunk scenes, you know. <laughs> lot to choose from. We got, you know, Boy Meets World, Family Matters, Roseanne. All in the family, with, you know, with the, with the with the Jesse caffeine pills and Saved by the Bell count. Yes, <laughs> probably. Just say no. All right, it is now time to guess Adam's list. Th- this is one of those that's going to be impossible. If any of us get even close, I think it's going to be worth it. Todd, what do you got? Uh, number five, I have when Buster gets drunk in Arrested Development. Number four, I have when uh, Martin teaches while drinking in um, uh, another round. Number three, I have when they have beer on the roof in Shawshank Redemption. Number two, I have I love scotch in Anchorman. And number one, I have uh, the shining bar scene because that's always his number one. Zach? Number five, I had Pinocchio. Although I'm going to expand it out to any animated movie that has... Isn't there an, an alcoholic scene in Pinocchio where they drink? You can't cheat, Zach. Okay, well, go with Pinocchio, the scene okay. when they, they drink. But I think I yeah, win yeah. I, I, alcohol. I think I, yeah, yeah, I know what okay. you're talking about. Okay, number four, Casablanca, of all the gin joints in all the world. 
Uh, number three, Jaws, Robert Shaw, Oscar host Robert Shaw's oh. Indianapolis speech. <laughs> number two, Lawless, which I've never seen, but apparently gave three and a half stars to, and I'm sure there's some scene involving leggings in it. And number one, The Shining, obviously. All right. I have number five, The Rooftop Beers and Shawshank Redemption. Number four. I think he's going to remember uh, that. Number four, we're going streaking in old school. Um, number three, uh, Russell uh, trading a penny for a six-pack of beer in Almost Famous. God damn it. How did we not come up with that? Nice. I know. Jesus I know. Christ. That should have been our number ones. What, what we kind Because we had mentioned Almost Famous before. What the yeah. hell? What is wrong with that? That's a good that's a good choice though. Uh number two, the pool scene in leaving Las Vegas, and number one, uh James Bond ordering a martini. Well, that was your number one. It was my number one. I try to come up with completely different number or top fives for Adam than anything I, I have on anything. It's you, got, I you added on the Shawshank and Emperor one because I had it. No, I, I had I had that one already, and then you, you said you didn't it, have that on your it. list? No. No, I thought of it. I thought of it late, and then threw it on his. And I'm gonna throw it on his instead of on my honorable mention. Um. Okay. <laughs> I Adams. love scotch. Scotchy scotch scotch. Yeah, that's I, that's a great call. That was an oversight by Terry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, honorable mentions. Okay. This is this is brilliant here. This is brilliant. <laughs> oh boy. Did he honorable mentions. The category? Bluto chugs Jack Daniels in Animal House. Oh, E.T. and Elliot get drunk nice. in E.T. And Centauri time in Lost in Translation. The first three things he wrote down. Unbelievable. <laughs> and he also has uh, Stifler drinks a beer with an unwanted ingredient in America. Yeah, that was my honorable mention. Uh, yep. And uh, drinking booze for health in Bioshock. What is that? Bioshock? Is that a movie? Video game? Oh... Maybe Biosphere with Polly Shore. Yeah, Bioshock is a video game. All right. Number five, bonding over drinks in Jaws. Yes. Number nice. four, Erica dumps Mark over beers in the social network. Number three, Marion wins the drinking competition in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. That's an right. Adam pick. I've that heard is... him mention that before. Okay. Yeah. Number two, the bar scene in The Shining. And number one, the booze run in Leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> okay, that scene. So Zach, Zach got two. I got one. I think, yeah, Zach wins. I got half because I said he would mention Leaving Las Vegas. I don't remember the Marion scene at all. She got drunk in that movie? Apparently. Well, she won a drinking competition. Oh, okay. That's what he says. You guys, I think it is really disturbing that we didn't think of the Penny Lane scene. <laughs> I, I I thought of it and put it on the honorable. Well, you don't see the list. you don't see the Heineken. Yeah, exactly. You don't see the beer. Yeah, that's true. It's in the dialogue. It's the that's dialogue a fair point, but it, it goes in the I have respect for beer category. Indefensible. I don't know. It also goes in the flaws category if you listen back to that uh <laughs> that deep dive, that whole scene because the that game doesn't make sense. It also um, doesn't make sense that they're in Boston, even though it looks like they're next to mountains. I think, I, I think it also makes sense that Zach's a moron because he said when we started this thing, there's nothing in Almost Famous we could have used. Yeah, you're right. That's true. <laughs> I, I completely overlooked that scene. I'm pretty sure when they did Flower William, they're drunk too. I, I don't know if there's we actually any alcohol them. visible. I think that's but... assumed. I don't know if Zach, you <laughs> actually see anything. Hey, Will, young William has got a stickman game going, okay? Doesn't he meet 
Uh, Lester Banks in a bar. I think it's a oh. coffee shop. No, it's definitely a. It's definitely not a coffee shop. It's a bar. It might be a, it might be a bar. See, there were either... no coffee shops in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Zach gets his twenty-eighth point. Uh, Terry's at twenty-six, and I have forty-three. So that means Zach gets to pick the next category. That's what that means, Zach. You get to pick the next okay. category. Zach's still learning the rules. We're only almost 200 it's a, it's episodes trivia into this. I don't understand. I think I get the powering. The this is the I first time you haven't asked about trivia uh, in a long well, time. Well, I don't have or anything maybe, prepared, so I, ho- I assume it's not me. Well, I hope you watched the movie then. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, okay. well, let's get into it. It is <laughs> trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And Todd won trivia last time. So he had to assign us movies that we had to watch. Todd, who's going first? Uh I mean, I guess we'll start with Zach. He 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 won power rankings. So go for it, Zach. Alright, so the movie I was assigned was California Split, the Robert Altman movie from 1974. I bitch and moan a lot about this podcast, and I think you guys are idiots for giving Don't Worry Darling two and a half stars, and Margaret's a piece of trash, and Elvis was terrible. Todd, what a great pick. I absolutely love this movie. Um, First of all, I love Robert Altman. Um, Three women in the company were on my top 100 list. Nashville barely didn't make it, but I'm sure if I rewatched it again, I, I I would love it. This is Altman's movie prior to Nashville, made in 1974. It stars George Siegel and Elliot Gould as Bill and Charlie, very similar to um, uh, uh, Trapper John and Hawkeye from MASH. There's a lot of uh, similarities with these movies. Um, And they basically play a couple of degenerates. Now, listen, when we talk about degenerates on this podcast, we our frame of reference is Jack and Miles. But Charlie and Bill, man, they make a run for Jack and Miles' money. I mean, listen, uh, Charlie lives day to day with a couple of hookers. Um, Bill works at some magazine that vaguely assemble resembles the magazine in um, the long goodbye with Elliot Gould. I think it was actually Alban's film studio, but they listen, they, they spend the night together. They have fruit loops in the morning. Um, it's, it's a reminder of a blissful time in life for many people. Um, and they are degenerates. They, they play poker excessively. They go to the horse track They live day to day. We learn a little bit more about the characters, but not too much. We learn, for example, that Bill, although as successful as a magazine writer, is also in gambling debt. Uh, He meets his bookie in a in a uh, uh, coffee shop scene um, that I think resembles the brilliance of the coffee shop scene in Taxi Driver. Absolutely wonderful moment. George Siegel is amazing in this movie. I think it's his best performance ever in a movie. I was thinking during the movie, why wasn't Jack Nicholson in in this movie? It's a perfect early 70s Jack Nicholson anti-establishment role. And the answer is because Elliot Gould and George George Siegel are so goddamn good in this movie. Like, it's actually, although it's a perfect Jack Nicholson role, both of them are so great in it, it's hard to imagine anyone else in in, in the recasting of this movie. The last 30 minutes of this movie kind of build to a climax where um, they both go to Reno for some reason. That's sort of uh, ambiguous, and I love it for that reason. Uh, I think Charlie belie- or Bill believes that he'll have better luck in Reno because he owes the bookie a significant amount of money. 
They gamble excessively. At first, they have. There's a great scene where where Charlie analyzes everybody at the high stakes poker table. That is, I think, one of the best scenes that Altman ever directed. Absolutely incredible acting, incredible dialogue, hilarious. There's overlapping um, dialogue in this movie. This, I guess, according to Wikipedia, was one of Altman's first real technical breakthroughs in terms of eight-track audio recording. So you hear a lot of overlapping conversation, but it's wonderful in every way. And um, in the last 30 minutes of this movie, they ultimately win big. It's reminiscent of the last 30 minutes of Uncut Gems. There's no murder in it, spoiler alert, but it's just wonderful and winsome and perfect. What a great movie. It's my number one of 1974. California Split <laughs> is an absolutely phenomenal movie. I loved it in every single way you could love a movie. It's one of my favorite movies of the 70s, one of my favorite Altman movies at this point. What a movie. I loved it. Um, four stars. Great pick, Todd. I, I was not prepared for how great it was, but oh my God, what a movie. Absolutely. Hats off. Phenomenal. Well, I'm glad. I, I remember when I first watched this movie, I texted you and said, this this movie is the sideways of degenerate gamblers. Yes. And and you said, I have a complicated relationship with Robert Altman. I've never seen it. And I was like, well, that's weird. But yeah, I mean... That text must have been a long time ago. I love Robert Altman now. I, I As I've grown older, I love his movies. I love how flawed they are. But I like... Man, I love this movie. Robert Altman, by the way, one of the great director drinkers of all time, too. I would oftentimes be drunk on set, but for good results. Uh, but great pick. Well, I'm Bravo. I, I didn't mean, mean to I... interrupt you, but it's 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 no, one. It's... it's obviously the sideways of the 70s. There's a lot of Miles and Jack in the movie, a little bit of MASH in the movie, a little bit of Nashville. Gwen Wells, amazing in the movie. She plays one of the hookers that lives with Elliot Gould. She has a wonderful scene with George Siegel that is just perfect. Um, it's a, it, Jeff Goldblum has a small role in it. You can see Nashville in this movie. You can see MASH in this movie. You can see why 70, you can see the long goodbye in this movie, how, how meandering it is. I thought a little bit of licorice pizza. It's definitely a shaggy movie, but in the most wonderful way, it has no urgency in it at all. There's scenes that don't make sense. Low key, the recasting of this movie in 2022, um, I would go with Michael Sarah as, uh, the, uh, Elliot Gould character. I'm okay. I, I player X a little bit in, in that, in that persona. A, absolutely wonderful. Great, great call by you. I love it. Great movie. Number one of 74 is, I mean, that's high praise. There's some great 74 movies. Godfather so. 2, it's better than the conversation. It's, it's absolutely Chinatown, Badlands. Yeah, better. And... Absolutely. Well, Badlands is maybe close, but absolutely better than those other movies. Well, wow. Well, you awesome. have to send me an updated 1974 it. list then. We'll do. We'll do. Great movie. Great pick, Todd. Good job. I should have watched it again before, but I forgot what I had sent you. So, <laughs> I think we need to deep dive it in two years. That will be a good deep dive. Well, it will be a first time watch for Terry. Well, we can. We have two years to change that. So that's true. It's on right. Prime right now, inexplicably. So, all right. Well, now it's my turn. And uh, Todd's text to me on what I was assigned was, "You're watching a cager." Yes. And then he gave me like five different options. <laughs> and I uh, honestly, I went with the one that was kind of short and it was on Hulu and not one of the free services that I would have to, you know, watch commercials on. But lo and behold, Hulu decides to throw in commercials on random movies every now and then anyways. So <laughs> screw you, Hulu. Um, I watched Looking Glass from 2018. Mm. This was 
written by Jerry Rapp and directed by Tim Hunter. And it is Nicolas Cage, Robin Tunney, Mark Lucas, who I recognize from some stuff and I don't even know why, but is, he's just got one of those like average faces that you know you've seen before. And I even looked up like what I'd seen him from. I'm like, no, that's not it. But apparently it is because that's, I don't know. Anyways, so uh, Looking Glass is the story of this couple who's gone through some stuff in their lives and they decide to start over. And so they move to the middle of Arizona somewhere and buy a hotel. And they're going to manage this hotel. And then strange stuff starts happening. Uh, Nicholas Cage's character named Ray. I mean, he's, he's let's face it. He's just playing Nicholas Cage. Uh, he finds a, uh, a secret passageway to look into someone's hotel room. Um, he uh, let's see here. There's a, a trucker who always comes in to, uh, to uh, spend the night with his hookers. There's uh, some other girl who keeps coming in and they all want the same room, which is weird. There's no real reason to why they need that room other than that's the room they want. And it's also the room that there's the portal into the into the uh, behind the uh, behind the mirror spot. So I don't know. Um, A pig ends up in the swimming pool, which I still don't really understand. Um, Anyways. The setup is actually kind of interesting and it, it's it gets going. It's like, okay, okay, this is kind of fun. And then it, it escalates quickly and for no reason. Um, all of a sudden, everything just kind of blows up and everyone's mad at each other and no one really gives an explanation why. He's chasing people halfway across the state to get in bar fights. Um, the, the wife is wanting to walk out. Um the, the mini mart guys across the street are like, I mean, they feel like the Chechen mob. I mean, let's just face it. They feel like Noho Hank should be running that, that organization. Um, shout out to, uh, to, uh, the almost sideshow Barry season two, starting this Thursday. Um, yeah, it, it's bizarre. It is a bizarre movie. When I told Todd that I was watching looking glass, he said, Oh, a true cager. And that, that's really, <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's really uh, the best way to describe it. I mean, it was interesting. I was never bored with it. I'm giving it two and a half stars. It, it's a fascinating movie, but yeah, once you hit like the halfway point, whatever happens in the second half, you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, how did we get there? What's go? Wait, wait, now we're doing, why are we doing that? Whoa. Whoa. What? Yeah. Uh, I- <laughs> hold on, Ben Stiller. So, um, I remember when I reviewed this, I said um, it's like a movie that has more um, appreciation for like Hitchcock wannabes than actual Hitchcock movies. So it's more like a fan of Body Double than it is like Rear Window or something. And I, I remember really enjoying this movie. I mean, you have to understand when you're watching an endless string of cagers that... <laughs> Some movies do stand out, and this is one of them. And um, I, I, I do also remember it was it's, it's one of two movies that I watched in that string of movies that was uh, a guy trying to have a fresh start by buying a hotel. <laughs> 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 it was not the first. Um, 
I don't know. I I remember really liking Looking Glass. I mean, I haven't thought about it since uh, since I watched it probably what two years ago or something. But I'm glad you got something out of it. What did you think of Nick Cage in it though? Was was he giving it his all? I was he giving it his all. That is a great question. I mean, he was he was doing his Nick Cage thing. I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't like oscar worthy but uh, he's he's doing his thing i will say the one thing i did text you while i was watching it was how has robin tunney not aged in the last like 15 years since prison break debuted or 20 years yeah. 20 years yeah, was she it, does what, like oh three oh four is when prison break started and and here she is 18 years later and she looks exactly the same exactly the same yeah so, he, he's Nick Cage starred with a number of uh, Prison Break alumni. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. The, the main reason why I thought about this movie was, I mean, well, I mean, I had originally said that to you, but I've been reading the book that you gave me, The Age of Cage. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, the writer of this movie does have some affection for this movie, too. I mean, you could tell because like a lot of these direct-to-video movies, like he he dismisses, he just like talks about in one sentence or something. But he's like Looking Glass. He's like, this is one of the ones that <laughs> that actually worked. And I was like, I thought so too. <laughs> so, I, if you go to the IMDb page for Looking Glass and see the still frame of the trailer that that they have there of just Nicolas Cage staring into the camera in complete bewilderment, that's how I feel about this movie. <laughs> like, like, look it up. It, it's, it's, it's. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and this is from the director of um, what did he do? Was it River's Edge? Yeah, the 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 great eighties movie. Wow, and Keanu he, Reeves, uh, right? What? Can't like? Oh yeah, Keanu Reeves. Keanu yeah, Reeves, yeah. Exactly. Well, and yeah, I don't know what I know Mark Lucas from, but he just looked familiar. I looked at me. You know, Night and Day is probably it. Night and Day, yeah, but I don't know. I haven't I, seen the movie seen, forever, but I, I, I know, do I sort of remember once. the villain. I love yeah. that you had assigned him that movie, Todd, and I, I think you really did a great job of promoting it. I really want to see it now. It's on Hulu. <laughs> it's easy to find. Job of selling it. By the way, did you guys see the the beginning of the Buccaneers Packers game today when they were comparing Aaron Rodgers' look to a Con Air Nicholas Cage? Well, well, I yeah, saw that yeah, back he, when he was showing up to training camp. Yeah, he showed up to the first day of training camp, like in the in the wife beater in jeans, and the, the with the full flow going. It was Damn. pretty brilliant. We need to deep dive more cagers. I mean, we're one year away from Magic Men. I mean, we're <laughs> that's I think totally we what we're starting next year with twenty twenty three entire year to Nicholas Cage deep dives. That that should be our <laughs> podcast. How many deep dives have we we did? The Rock and Leaving Las Vegas. I think that's it. And Connor. Oh, and gone sixty seconds. And Conair. So so four. It's not nearly enough. I I, I like the oh, idea of the fast times there is one high. Five, oh, okay, five. There we go. I like the idea of starting every year with a with a cager. That yeah. that's that's beautiful. Magic Men's totally what we're starting with. I don't know why I never thought about that. We were talking about that like a week ago, Terry. <laughs> we were. We were. All right. Todd, host us away. Okay, well. Uh, so last week we had a thrice approved movie. It was called The Woman King. That doesn't happen very often anymore, apparently. And so I have a couple lists that are sort of related to the idea of The Woman King. 
And so I was thinking like, oh yeah, I said it was one of the best movies of the year. It should be nominated for best picture. So I decided to find the list of the movies that are, that feature the word man, men, woman, or women that were nominated for best picture. So they are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Like it's like 21 movies that have the word man, men, women, or women that have been nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, not at the BAFTAs. How many the, did you say? I think there's like 21. Okay. I counted it pretty fast. Man, but, men, no. woman, or women? Mm hmm. Okay. And, I mean, I guess I'm going to start with Terry because I signed him a cager and, you know, that's always risky, so. All right. Rain Man. Rain Man is a correct answer. A Man for All Seasons. Man for All Seasons is also a Best Picture winner. Those were the two I had thought of and had written down. Uh, <laughs> um why why is this hard to come up with um i got thrown off because i was like matchstick men i'm like oh crap best picture nominees <laughs> never mind um i mean there there are a few in the last few years i will say i'm sure there are <laughs> uh does it does it have to like actually you know it's it's its own word, or can it be like a part of? There is word? one that is a part of a word, and I'll give you a half point if you come up with that one. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, five, four. I did tell Zach that he was going to win this this trivia. Finally, uh, three. <laughs> Why can't I think of anything? Dude, um, there are all-time classics on this. One, of, I'm one, sure there are. One of which ha has two movies of the based on the same thing that uh, are been on Best Picture. My Man Godfrey. <laughs> that was not nominated for Best Picture. Damn it! <laughs> it was nominated for every Oscar nice but try. My Man Godfrey. And I can't believe you pulled that shit out. I just listened to an episode of our, one of our previous episodes where I brought My Man Godfrey. Can we? I think it was the Leaving Las Vegas. Deep dive where we were talking about movies that were nominated for everything but picture. So that, that is incorrect. Zach, uh, how much more do you got? Uh, All the King's Men. Oh. All the King's Men, best picture winner is correct. All the President's Men. All the President's Men was that also. Been a good one to remember. Was the half point Birdman? No. No? Well, that's, that, that's not. It should be, though. <laughs> it should be. I agree. Yes. But I mean, I mean, I'll let you keep going, but I'll give you a half okay. point, I guess, because <laughs> the Quiet Man, the Quiet Man was also nominated. Yes, so John Wayne movie. A few good men. A few good men. Um, that's all I got. Okay, so you have five and a half. Terry has one. Ones you did not say were No Country for Old Men, oh. Scent of a Woman. I just said that movie. Both uh, versions of the title still sitting in front of me on my spreadsheet. Oh, little women, little yeah, women. little women. Uh, the Elephant Man, Kiss mm. of a Spider Woman, Twelve Angry Men, uh, Promising Young Woman, 
Nah, number one uh, in 2020. The Thin Man, Terry. yeah, top 50 of all time for Terry. Um, <laughs> a, a Serious Man, The Music Man, An Unmarried Woman, Of Mice and Men, 100 Men and a Girl. And the one that uh, I had listed as a half point was uh, El, Il Postino, The Postman. Uh, so Zach has a very strong five and a half to one lead, and we have one category left. And the Woman King, of course, starred Viola Davis. So we are doing some filmography trivia. Uh, she has forty-two movies, not including the Woman King. Um, uh, I, I mainly did this because Zach said that she is one of the two greatest living actresses, and so we're going to explore that. Uh, I'm going to explore that with her list of 42 other movies that she's I had. Feel other than the derision, d- derision in that statement, Todd. <laughs> I'm just saying, you said Meryl Streep and Viola Davis are the two greatest living actresses. And uh, we're going to see how well you know the filmography of that, of that actress. And uh, we're starting with Zach. Uh, doubt. Doubt is, of course, correct. The help. The help is also correct. Fences. Fences. Widows. Widows is correct. Suicide Squad. Uh, so, yes. I'm going to count both of those as one because... No, are- no. They are two different movies because my next one was going to be Suicide Squad. That's, that's ridiculous. Okay. It should be one point, but... There are two movies. There's The Suicide Squad and Suicide Squad. I know, but I didn't exactly hear if you said that or not. So, I mean, the, but okay. Does it really matter? I it doesn't matter at one. this point. Okay, <laughs> I guess it's <laughs> next turn again. Whatever. <laughs> Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's correct. And... Can't say The Woman King, right? <laughs> I said, yes, I said you cannot say that. Oh crap! Um, we rolled through like every single one that was said was one I had written down. Yeah, I'm out. Okay, Zach, Justice yeah, League. We... Is she in Justice League? She's not in Justice League. Oh, no. Okay. Well, I uh, so. There aren't that many other movies that you would remember her in. She had a movie this year called The Unforgivable. Um, she was in Black Hat, Get On Up, Prisoners, uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Oh, wow. Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, she also was in Night and Day. <laughs> there we go. MVP of this podcast, Night and Day. Law Biden Citizen, Medea Goes to Jail, World Trade Center, Syriana, Get Richard I Try, and Antoine Fisher. That's one I would have remembered. We also deep dove Traffic, which she has one really nice. good scene in. Wow. Far from Heaven. Oh, God, sight. yes. Out of sight. Far from heaven. But, I mean, this is why I'm like, yeah, one of our two greatest living actresses, but okay. How to Get Away with Murder should count as something she was in that she was amazing in, but yeah. okay. I mean, it's a great show, yeah. All right. Well, Zach so, wins trivia. Yes, you won. I won both of those very Officially, nine and a half to four. 
very an absolute ass kicking. That you guys lost to me during this shit while I was drunk, or that we forgot the Kate Hudson scene from Almost Famous. I, just, I didn't forget indefensible. it. Indefensible. Well, I certainly did. That should give me like an extra five points, which means I lose nine and a half to nine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Zach wins. So, Zach, the rules are that means you host trivia in two weeks. All right. But I got to assign and stuff. That's you have to assign thing. stuff to us. Can I sign myself at Nick, Nick Cage movie? I sure. really want to see it. Do it. Because when I'm down on my luck, I want to buy a hotel. <laughs> Kill Chain is the other one where he bought a hotel. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap this up. Quote of the daytime. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. And Zach, you won. You get to go first. I'm going to choose my number. My quote is from Todd's number four movie on the drunken list. It is the Shawshank Redemption scene when Andy brings beers to the party where they are doing some sort of manual labor um and uh you gotta uh, think that you know i'm i'm morgan freeman here and that's how it came to pass that on that second to last day of the job the convict crew that tarred the plate factory in the spring of 49 wound up sitting in a row of 10 o'clock in the morning drinking icy hot bohemian style beer courtesy of the hottest screw that ever walked the turn of the shawshank state prison and you could argue he'd done it to curry the favor of the guards or maybe make a few friends among cons me I think he did it to just feel normal again, if only for a short while. Which is the way I feel about this podcast, because it's the only way I feel normal, if only for a short while. There we go. Lovely. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, I'll go next. Uh, So I have some of my favorite uh, uh, alcohol-related quotes, and they uh, they both come from Cheers, because, you know, you know, why not? So uh, it, it's Norm, and when he enters the bar, I've said some of these before, I think, as quotes of the day, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, so Woody always always, always welcomes him, and he always has something funny coming back. So I've got a couple here. One of them, Woody says, pour you a beer, Mr. Peterson? Norm says, all right, but stop me at one. Eh, make that 130. And then uh, <laughs> yes. and the other one is, hey, Mr. Peterson, there's a cold one waiting for you. I know. If she calls, I'm not here. <laughs> it, it, they're, they're I remember the first one you've quoted before. That's yeah, awesome. That, Norm, Norm it is great. Every every time he walks into the bar, he, he's got something good to say along those lines. All right, Todd, wrap us up. So my uh, quote comes from something I re- read in The Age of Cage, which is, of course, a great book. Uh, by Keith Phipps Um, and uh, it is in the Wandering Cage chapter Uh, uh, from a travel diary he wrote in 1991 he says I am not a demon I am a lizard a shark a heat seeking panther I am one watt above darkness I am the glow in the dark roller coaster I am a hard on I am or I want to be John Denver on acid playing the accordion. I want to drink Jack Daniels while driving my Corvette off the Grand Canyon. I am the frog you never kissed. I'm a sinner looking for some peace. I believe in the sword that gives life. I'm a family man and a bachelor. I don't believe in God, but I am afraid of him. So I will pray. (laughs) And that is Nicolas Cage. And 
probably the mindset that led to all of the brilliant movies that we saw, like Looking Glass. Why didn't he say crap like that in Unbearable Way to Massive Talent? Like, they should have just, like, quoted something like that. Javi would have liked that. Was, that was in the transition from Nikki to Nicholas, yeah, I think. <laughs> probably, probably. Oh, that's beautiful. All right. Well, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.